The following is a podcast from Ballin Ran Entertainment. Hello, it's Craig Thompson, and this is the Stratford Slice. Today on the podcast, a little town with a big symphony. Few North American cities of Stratford size can boast a symphony orchestra as accomplished as the Stratford Symphony Orchestra. Now going into its 18th season, the Stratford Symphony offers half a dozen concerts each year throughout the year at the beautiful Avondale United Church. The symphony uh, is under the direction of Bill Rosen, who is the principal conductor and music director. And he joins me today all the way from Vancouver, BC. Welcome, Bill. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the Stratford Slice. Thanks. Good to be here. Tell me what the conductor of the Stratford Symphony is doing in Vancouver, because obviously you have many different roles and responsibilities in this uh, in this industry, and Stratford is one of your uh, treasured assignments, I, I presume. Yes, indeed it is. Um, well, I, I lived in Ontario for many, many years and started in Stratford, and then uh, I was offered a job with the Vancouver Symphony, um, as their associate conductor, first assistant conductor, and then their associate conductor. And the workload there was just very intense, like weekly duties and performances. And so my family and I temporarily relocated out here to Vancouver. And um, so I, and I still work with the, with the VSO, although uh, my, my contract with them has ended on a uh, contracted by the year type of thing. Uh, and so now I have a lot more flexibility to fly around. But in the meantime, my wife got a wonderful job and and my kids are in school. So we, and then COVID came uh, as we'd always intended of on coming back to Ontario. It's where we feel at home, uh, but that's still in the works. So we're, I'm talking to you today from Vancouver instead of uh, Southern Ontario. Now tell me, uh, Stratford is a small town, like I said, off the top. But we have a professional orchestra. How rare is that for a community the size of Stratford and why? Uh, it's very rare uh, from my experience, uh, especially to have an orchestra as capable as Stratford's uh, and as big. Um, I, Stratford's a special town. I mean, it's a, in, in uh, the arts and culture world, especially. I think that it's, uh, it's used to cultural tourism, thanks to the festival there and, and has been for many, many years. Um, a lot of really fabulous uh, people that have worked in the arts profession retire to Stratford, and I think it benefits uh, a lot from all the universities and music training programs in the area, and um, it, it it just took some people to put those pieces together, um, and and the audiences came and have been very, very supportive, so it's, uh, it's, it's a special thing. I, I value it very much. And for those who haven't uh, attended a symphony concert at Avondale Church, most of those concerts are uh, full, packed, sold out. So it's yeah. obviously a very popular, uh, is that because of the caliber of the orchestra or the fact that there's not a lot of choice for a symphony in the, in the region? How would you uh, break that down? 
I I would uh, say on your first two points that 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 uh, it really helps us a lot. I always say that a, a good performing arts organization, particularly a good symphony orchestra, has to have three very strong anchors in, in order to really succeed and grow. And and those are you have to have access to. Uh, highly trained capable artists like you have to get the best musicians that you can uh, and you you have to have an audience that supports that that initiative and comes out and sees the concerts and makes the events and experience that that stays with people and is relevant and becomes part of the community fabric and three you you need to to be able to fundraise enough money to to keep everything um working so that plans are paid for in advance and and uh, and the, the organization can grow. And Stratford, uh, it does all of those things, even though it's a town of uh, 32,000, I think is what Stratford has now. Um, I really credit our audiences a lot. Out of our last, uh, we, we've done 13, you know, sort of before, during, and just after COVID, our 13 uh, presentations we did at Avondale, uh, we had we had completely sold out nine of them. Two of them were um, at capacity, except for only a few tickets. And uh, and then during COVID, uh, we had to do split shows for safety for spacing people out. So um, uh, so we didn't have a single sold out show. But um, it, it's audiences have really really been wonderful, and I've loved meeting them, and we we love performing for them especially coming out of COVID, those first looking out on a full Avondale church was just absolutely warmed our hearts. It really gave us a lot of our spirit back and it was, it was great. Now working in the arts uh, uh, world in Canada is challenging for any organization. So the fact that this orchestra has been around now launching as 18th season, is that uh, something to be proud of for Stratford? I think so. Most there's not that many um, orchestras in Canada that are still really thriving that aren't what what I suppose we call heritage orchestras, you know, that are coming up to their 100th anniversary. Uh, in the case of Vancouver here, we're, we're 104 years old now. Um, because that is that comes out of the time um, just after the First World War, when many Canadian orchestras were founded, many times Canadians forget that we're older than the NHL, we're older than the CFL, we've, we've been around. Regina Symphony is 110 years old, um, but not a lot of orchestras have started in this millennium and got their their footing and built an audience. And um, I think we are we are really unique in this country that way, for sure. Before we, before we get into the the season at hand, which launches October first. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about your own background. We're very um, uh, privileged to have you as the conductor of the Stratford Symphony, but you do a lot of other things. So tell me, I, I, you grew up on the prairies, right? Yeah, that's right. I grew up uh, in, in Saskatchewan, in Saskatoon, and my family also has a, a farm a few hours north of there. And, um, and that's where I first learned music and um, got into symphony orchestras and began performing uh, a lot. Now, my family still live in Saskatchewan, but I, I went off to a, a, a special music high school in the United States, and then I went to conservatory studies in the United States at the Curtis Institute in Philadelphia, and I lived in New York for a little bit, and then uh, 
came back, studied in Toronto and Ontario, set my base there, began working, and then have since moved to Regina. I have degrees in composition and violin performance, and also, uh, of course, in conducting. And um, yeah, I have a very multi-angled uh, career. I write a lot so, of music. Yeah, go ahead. So vi violin was your first instrument or piano? Uh, violin first, then piano. So I, I tell people I play the violin and the piano. I did play violin professionally for uh, for a uh, about a decade until I really shifted my focus into conducting. So why did you do that? What is it about conducting? Because I'm not sure if people really understand what's involved. People always say it looks like fun standing up there. You get all the accolades. You get to talk. You wave the baton. You bow. You come in. Everybody applauds. <laughs> how much work? How much work is it? What exactly does a conductor do? And why were you drawn to that? Well, I um, I think out of my composition background, I've always. Uh, I've always collected a lot of scores. Like I, I study, a score is what a conductor reads. It's the it's the sheet music that has everybody's part on it all at once. And um, so the whole design and the layout and all the, the way a piece of music is created, uh, the, the whole diagram is the score. And um, I began collecting these when I was very, very young. And uh, more than most of my violin friends and colleagues uh i spent a lot of time with scores and um i i received and i loved orchestras and i was writing a lot of orchestral music and there were a few people in my background that were very um encouraging to me uh to to try conducting they they thought i would have a good temperament for it and that that my actual passions were um very much a part of the preparation for being a conductor when you see conductors in an audience uh, as an audience member rather uh you sort of get to see the nice icing on the cake conductors really use their skills in rehearsals um, and in planning to to make sure that you have music that pushes people's capabilities but yet keeps them in a place where they can really bring in a in a an a plus performance um so it's it's very very odd experience to be making music when you're actually the only one on stage not making a sound but your presence is very very much involved in in what is happening and uh so i will come in and meet the orchestra um almost a week before the performances for the public happen and we go through the the pieces and uh, you work on the sound and how it's balanced how you would like the phrase to unfold, the shape of everything. You also have to be, um, you have to make the orchestra uh, as as fine an instrument as you can. Everything must be in tune. The rhythms must really be exact and lined up. You 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 make the tempo. Tempo in music is vital. Like the actual exact speed that things happen unfold. How the how the breath of the piece is, and. Um, and it's a lot of communicating with musicians and uh, making sure they're comfortable and helping them do their best in performance. Because only you have the, you only you have the ear to listen to everybody. Individual musicians only hear what they can hear around them. They're relying on you to to interpret how the whole orchestra is sound, right? 
Yes. And, and so you, you want to have a relationship with your players so that they trust you with that very important task. Um, players uh, will get their parts, their individual parts, and they learn them very, very well. And then we all come together and play the play it. And it often comes out like a garden that's just <laughs> a little bit overgrown, you know, and you, you have to just uh, back some things off, bring some, you have to uh, rehearse the architecture and structure of the piece so that people know the function of what they're playing. And, um, and you, you have to honor the intentions of the, the composer who wrote the piece of music. And that requires a lot of interpretation. Like being a theater director, you're not actually on stage performing, but you can deliver a line many different ways. And it in the context of a scene of a play that really <laughs> can make, a, make or break it, you know? And so uh, sometimes composers give you a lot of information. Sometimes they don't. You have to rely on your knowledge of that style of music. And... Um, and try to do that in a way that's engaging for everybody so that the three hours pass in a way that's informative and growing and things are getting better and people uh, are encouraged and ready to get out there and play their best. Now, in addition to conducting this, the Stratford Symphony Orchestra, you're also involved in scoring films and education for children. Tell us a little bit about what else you do besides Stratford, because it's only six concerts a year, plus the rehearsal time that you talked about. That's right. So for conductors, we're, we're usually booked by the week and uh, I'll do six weeks in Stratford and I, I do about 15 or 16 weeks in other cities just doing guest conducting. Basically what I do in Stratford, but I only go to to uh, Victoria, say, for example, for a week or Saskatoon or Regina or or wherever it may be. Uh, so I keep a guest conducting um, uh, schedule as uh, as full as I can manage. I, I also have commissions as a composer, as you had said, I've, I've done scores for two feature length films in the, in recent years. Uh, I write a lot of chamber music and orchestral pieces, and I do a lot of arranging and, uh, which I'm doing right now, for example, I'm arranging the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the Vancouver Symphony, because it was written for a rock band, but they need something that an 80 piece orchestra can play. So they call someone like me. And, um, I believe very much in music education, and um, I was very fortunate to to get to learn from some very inspiring individuals as as I was coming up. And I uh, I make my time available at the the VSO School of Music, where I lead a few of their uh, high school aged ensembles, and. Um, and, and just lets me be in a position to really help nurture some talent and and share with people the joy of making music in an ensemble. Um, I, I I find it one of the great things we do as as a species play music together of any kind. And um, it, when when you can get eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty five young people who are who are good and committed and and really challenge them it's a it's really a thrill and that's something i value very much so i'm the music director uh of uh, two orchestras at the vancouver symphony school of music which is a organization attached to the symphony it's got its own building um here in vancouver and i worked with the moordale youth orchestras for a long time in toronto and we have a new youth orchestra at the saskatoon uh, sorry at the uh at sso 
our, our new youth orchestra just started this past season, and uh, I hope to work to build it up to a formidable uh, ensemble that will hopefully perform side by side with with the professional orchestra. That would be a dream. Uh, perhaps like a farm team for larger orchestras. These are young people who can move up in the ranks eventually to different orchestras. That's the idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, so they're mostly at the stage where they haven't gone to a conservatory or a university yet to do their final training. But but having been somebody with both myself and all of my work colleagues have gone through that uh, that process, in my case, many times. Uh, Guidance is very, very important, and good musical guidance uh, can really stay with somebody for the rest of their lives, and that's that's important for me. So I've seen you conduct both for children and for a general audience, and I guess what I would say is you like to have fun when you're up there. Take the elitism and the stuffiness out of classical music. Is is that uh, uh, would be that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I would say so. I um, I've worked as an assistant back in my up and coming days for for many many different types of conductors, and I you have to the you you approach your profession with a lot of your own characteristics in it, and um, some people like wearing tuxedos. I don't particularly. I do though it's part of the job, but I like to talk to the audience. I like to to welcome them and uh, uh, share share with them some insights that I've gained about these pieces that we're going to play, what they mean to me, um, or just share stories about them. Make the concert experience uh, not. I mean, a ritual that's one that you should enjoy taking part in it's on all levels um especially in depending on where you are i suppose it's a little different maybe if you're performing in vienna where the audiences have seen this production of fidelio 16 times um but for for many people in stratford we've had an orchestra now going on 18 years so um you know a lot of the pieces we'll be playing will be the first time they've been played in stratford so uh, I think it's important to set that up. And, and I, I do, I feel more fueled and energetic and really ready to perform when I've connected with people first. Um, and that's just me. I, I don't, some people need to, there's famous stories of conductors, you know, that would stay in their limousine until the orchestra was tuning and the stage manager would have to tell them and they just walk right out of the door, right onto stage. That's how nervous they'd get. I'm not that way. I, I leave my dressing room door open and, like to just check in with everybody right before and i really like to to see that audience and take them in a little bit uh so that's i i would say a little bit more fun than formal well we've had a challenging uh couple of years two or three years because of covid so everyone's excited to uh, uh see the the new season the in-person concerts at avondale church let's go through the uh the program that you've set up for the coming year the premiere is uh saturday october 1st the opening season and you've got uh, a selection with uh, schubert dvorak and your own fanfare that you've composed so tell us a little bit about the season opener and what to expect sure so the season opener is uh gangbusters as far as uh um 
classical repertoire goes. Uh, the big feature piece in the program is Dvorak's just uh, massive cello concerto in B minor. Uh, our soloist for that will be a young Israeli-Canadian cellist named Daniel Haas. He's a big Juilliard guy, graduated. He's playing all over with orchestras uh, in Canada and the U.S. And uh, I think it will be fabulous. It's it's a, a formidable concerto for the soloist um, to play. It's very challenging and virtuosic. And... Um, I'm really, really looking forward to that because it's such a monumental concerto. We chose for the sort of symphony only part of the program to be Schubert's Symphony Number no. Eight, which is it's got a famous name. It's called the Unfinished Symphony, and that is because it's only two movements long, and he he never finished it. Um, so it's it's pretty short. And to balance that program out, uh, I wrote a piece for my beloved Stratford Symphony Orchestra. Um, the, the, the print copy I'm looking at here doesn't have a title on it yet because I'm still trying to work on that, but my working title is Fanfare for the Stratford Symphony Orchestra. It's a high energy, uh, piece. I tried to make it as exuberant as I can, and I used for it, um, during COVID when everything got locked down, uh, with the help of Ballinran, we filmed concerts, which we called SSO to go. And I thought at that time, why don't I write a little bit of theme music you know like they do for television just for the opening credits so i wrote a fanfare for our brass players which is only about 20 seconds long and we have that now and let's let's listen to that just uh while we're on that topic so we'll play the fanfare by william rosen for the stratford symphony So that's only an excerpt that uh, was 20 se seconds long or so the the full fanfare is going to be much more than a fanfare i guess is that right it, it is yeah it's got whole middle sections and lyrical parts and so what i did is i i i first of all i made it for full symphony orchestra not just the brass players and i took sort of the first 15 seconds and uh orchestrated it out and then i wrote a whole five minute fantasy of uh of ups and downs and fasts and slows and everything you could imagine. And then I put the last five seconds on the end to kind of wrap it all up. And I really kind of hoped that for those audiences we had that really stayed with us and supported us by subscribing to those concerts that we we sold online, that was a real lifeline for us. Um, my, I think you my, should call it, I think you should call it, because of that, because of that, you should call it uh, a Stratford celebration because we're celebrating the return to live in-person concerts and uh, it's more than a fanfare, but it, a fanfare is celebratory, right? So uh, I would call it a Stratford celebration by William Rosen. And I'm we, down now. We, <laughs> I won't charge you for that. <laughs> um, but it is, a, it does, it does have that celebratory feel and we are coming into 18th season in per there's so, so much energy in the community right now for getting back in person and uh, you've put together an amazing season so i'll give that to you as as a bonus so you can have that <laughs> <laughs> well thank you greg 
before we move on to the the next uh, concert bill i believe we have a an excerpt of daniel haas playing the very number um that he's going to be performing with the stratford symphony dvorak's cello concerto in b minor that's right fantastic
listening to The Stratford Slice with Craig Thompson. Check out our website, thestratfordslice.com, and be sure to subscribe. And now, back to the show. So, Bill, that was Daniel Haas, a little excerpt of what people will hear on October 1st. That's right. That's Dvorak's monumental cello concerto in B minor, and we're really looking forward to having Daniel join us. I think he's a wonderful artist and musician, and our audiences will be thrilled. So next up, November 12th, you've got uh, a salute to Ludwig van Beethoven as your theme for that concert. That's right. So poor Ludwig van Beethoven uh, had his 250th anniversary interrupted by COVID. And uh, so we, we had very carefully planned this program and wanted to present it to people. It features um, the Canadian Ukrainian pianist Sofia Mitzik. Uh, playing Beethoven's fourth piano concerto. It's in G major. It's my favorite of Beethoven's five piano concertos. It's absolutely uh, beautiful from beginning to end. And um, and it's, it's a big concerto too. And the only other piece on that program is another monumental Beethoven masterpiece, to use all of the big uh, words. It's his third symphony in E-flat called the Eroica. And Eroica is... Um, it's thought of by many as the greatest symphony ever written. It's if you um, everything about it is is just epic and grand. It's a big symphony. The development sections are just full, full and rich. Those opening two chords uh, have been said to be the two pillars that that open the gates to romanticism. And if you think of the Austro-Hungarian, I'm sorry, the Austro-Germanic symphonic tradition of Haydn and Mozart, if viewed from that lens looking forward, uh, Beethoven has just turned everything up to 11 in this symphony. Uh, its finale is this massive theme in variations, uh, has this unbelievable funeral march for a second movement, which was played uh, at John F. Kennedy's funeral in the 1960s. And um, uh, and the first movement is is uh all of beethoven's innovations and, and his drive and that th that spirit that is everything we share in humanity is what he was going for in this revolutionary work and so um i can't wait it's a favorite of mine it's a favorite of the orchestra it's been on our bucket list for a long time so i think the audiences will pick up on all of that in energy and this is our uh our presentation of uh uh of the best of Beethoven for his. And, for then his we're, and, and then we have to wait till January 1st, which is a uh, traditional Stratford Symphony New Year's Day concert. So what have we got in store for uh, January 1st, 2023? Hard to believe January 21st, 2023. I know. Where did, it, last time I checked, uh, it was still 2019. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, 
this is uh, our annual um, Viennese traditional New Year's Day concert, as they do in Vienna. They have a concert during the day to welcome in the new year. So all of the music is uh, bubbly and fun. Uh, uh, we are joined by Catherine and Mark Gardner, the soprano and baritone, um, who are from Stratford. Um, what do we have on here? We have beautiful arias from Korngold, Lehar, Johann Strauss. We um, try to make this concert, it's Viennese, but we Stratford it up a little bit. Uh, but we still will end with the traditional encores, the Radetzky March, the beautiful Blue Danube. Um, and uh, Catherine and Mark will sing duets and solos. And it's a fun concert in the afternoon. It's not long. Uh, I'll talk between all the pieces. It's one of those concerts that has a whole bunch of really fantastic, memorable, beautiful bonbons and and some some arias that are absolutely heart wrenching, um, but not to be missed. It always sells out, and uh, I'm really trusting it will this year too. I think. Four weeks later, I, I guess it's tied to Robbie Burns Day, but you have the annual Celtic celebration. And before we have a discussion about that, let's play a little clip from the uh, guest artists.
Those were the clefts of Mohar. Did I get that pronounced right, Bill? Clefts of clefts. Mohar, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. your, uh, tell us a little bit about them and how you've planned that concert. Well, we have, they're a, they're a fabulous um, seven-piece band out of uh, the Kitchener area, and they they kind of, they play traditional Celtic music and they mix it with jazz and rock and roll, and they're quite, um, quite accomplished band and they bring a lot of fun to their shows and a lot of musicality um we'll we'll be joining them to do a bunch of numbers including danny boy and uh and original pieces they have a, a song called the cliffs which is really uh fantastic and that's going to sound great having this band out front with the whole symphony orchestra behind uh the stratford symphony will also offer traditional um celtic uh classics and um, that's so we, January 28th, right? That's January 28th. Yep, that's right. And so those shows are always, they're a ton of fun. And we, we just had one and people can get up on their feet and clap along. It's its very, very, we'll still be wearing, well, a lot of the orchestra wear kilts and Celtic attire. but And you do too, yeah. Yeah, I, I do too sometimes. I like to really get into the spirit of it. And so it's one of those shows. It's got a lot of spirit to it. It's not a formal classical show although it involves an orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. So skipping forward to March 4th, uh, we've got a double bill of Brahms and uh, Dvorak's back on the uh, the program for this concert. Yeah, he's lucky this year. He's got a got a few. Uh, well, we're joined by Sarah Pratt, who's going to play Brahms's violin concerto, um, which is uh, like the Dvorak cello concerto, just a big piece, very, very uh involved for the soloist and the orchestra uh and it will be on the first half Dvorak's eighth symphony is his most song-filled symphony it has seven hit tunes in the first movement alone um it's uh I love it it's in G major really really bright key fantastic finale with just fanfares and drums and and uh it has this great uh Slavic um kind of uh, uh in the middle movements uh Dumki, uh it's a kind of slavic dance so not so viennese and classical it's a it's got a bit more swagger and swing to it uh i love it and uh that that concert's again a lot of players have that on their bucket list too we've been dying to play together for so long we have a couple bucket list pieces this year so the players are just That's like great. oh thank goodness yeah and, so, and the grand finale is May 27th. You've got an organ symphony. Now, I don't think you've made use of the organ too often in Avondale Church. You used to use it at when you were playing at Knox uh, Presbyterian Church, but you'll be using the sanctuary organ at Avondale, or is there an organ coming in for that concert? No, we will use the, the sanctuary organ. It's tuned to the right pitches. We've got it all tested out, and it can make enough volume. Uh, to play Saint-Saëns Symphony Number no. 3, which is called the Organ Symphony. Now, the thing about the Organ Symphony is normally when this piece is performed, it's in a huge concert hall because uh, it's it's big. We have to hire half the other orchestras in Southern Ontario to come in and fill out our ranks. This will be the biggest presentation of personnel, anyway, that we've ever had on that stage. We're going to have to extend it. It has two pianos and, and then the full pipe organ, uh, like four trumpets and five trombones and six horns it's it's just massive and celebratory and at the end of that symphony 
uh, when it comes back to C major and, and all the fanfares are playing with the, with the organ, just blasting away, um, audiences to hear something in such an intimate space like Avondale, uh, is a real treat, uh, to be that close to, to that much sound. You'll get to feel like the conductor while you're sitting in the, uh, in the audience. And we wanted to really wrap up the, the, the season in a grand way. And, um, and we actually have in our venue an organ that can that can handle it. So, uh, so we are. And your and your guest is um, Owen Spicer. That's right. Owen Spicer will be playing organ with us, and we also have two short concertos on that program featuring uh, members of our orchestra. Jonathan Rosewell will play the uh, Costier Concerto for Tuba. Mm -hmm. It's a great piece. You don't often see a tuba player, but Jonathan. Uh, is a magnificent tuba player and he will he will carry you on a journey with his musicianship i guarantee and uh we will also be featuring gene coltard's uh canadian composer uh music on a quiet song which will feature our principal flute player laurel swindon well i love organ music and uh we have a clip of uh owen spicer uh playing the organ
So that's the very talented uh, organist Owen Spicer, who is the guest soloist on the finale concert of the Stratford Symphony Orchestra on May 27th, 2023. Well, it sounds like an amazing uh, program you've got lined up for the the 18th season of the Stratford Symphony. Well, it's our most ambitious season yet, and uh, I know we're up for it. And so I, I really hope people come out and uh, share the music with us. I can't wait to get back to a regular season and making music for our for our public and seeing our musicians again and it'll be great where do you think the orchestra is going uh from here 18 seasons is quite remarkable do you think uh because we're in in stratford which is a very well-known brand as an arts and arts and culture town arts and culture community do you think that elevates uh the the orchestra somewhat that we could be uh you know the this uh, big orchestra in a small town uh, that has you know tentacles outside of the region uh well that would be my hope for sure i think that the potential there is is magnificent and uh we've you know had had seasons to really find our own and learn how to play together and we're we're definitely in a uh expansion mindset I think. And so uh, I have great hopes for the Stratford Symphony, be those recording projects, uh, um, extended seasons, outreach concerts, uh, run out concerts to other communities, and uh, filming and broadcasting. Uh, I think I've shared this. I think I've shared this funny story with you before, but I believe we posted uh, one of the concerts um, on YouTube at one point. I can't remember which one. But you know how YouTube operates. They have these algorithms that check to see if you are violating any international copyright. And I can't remember which piece it was, but YouTube came back and said, uh, you are using a piece without permission from the Hungarian Symphony Orchestra. please take it down. And then yeah. we had to sort of say, oh, no, no, that's not the Hungarian Symphony Orchestra. Uh, it is the Stratford Symphony Orchestra playing the same number. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, that's good. That's You're that's... you're up there with the, uh, at least YouTube recognizes you as an international <laughs> caliber orchestra, right? Love it. I love it. But speaking of international caliber, I, I don't want to let you go yet because there's a couple of other stories that I know you can tell us. One thing unique about Stratford is that Stratford is a magnet for people, not just in the theater world, but in the general arts and culture uh, community. And we have at our fingertips some of the most incredible and acclaimed musicians, operatic performers, and people who wouldn't be out of place in New York or the West End of London, England, or or wherever, but they happen to choose play Stratford as a place to live. So tell us uh, how that has benefited the orchestra. Well, it has actually uh, quite substantially. In, in October 2021, just about a year ago, we had, uh, and this happens to orchestras, but this is what's hard about being in a more regional area. We had a singer, a baritone for our concert, who was the featured soloist, uh, got covid positive and couldn't come and the test came back the morning of the concert which was also being filmed uh for live 
uh, simulcast. And so um, we, we uh, put our heads together and said, we need a baritone that can sing this. And it was Korngold, Donizetti, a whole bunch of very operatic repertoire. And um, one of our uh, uh, artistic advisory committee members said, oh, we should just see if Philip Addis can do it. Uh, and Philip Addis, you should know, has sung in opera houses all over Europe and had just done a whole run of Don Giovanni's at the um, at Mozart's Don Giovanni at the uh, um, uh, the castle at Versailles in France, in the Royal Theater in Versailles. And he was uh, so and Andrew had a cell phone number, gave him a call and he said, yeah, sure. I'm just doing my groceries. Uh, let me drop these off at home and I'll come right over. And he picked up his tuxedo. <laughs> And he was over in about 20 minutes and he said, no, I don't need to rehearse these. I've sung these many, many times. And he gave such a magnificent performance. It just lifted the whole thing up. He was perfect. And um, I even had to turn around to the audience, you know, that day. And I had to say, you know, in New York or Toronto, uh, you can get away with this, but usually not in a town like Stratford. So. And we pulled him out of the grocery line at the local supermarket. He was just buying his uh, zucchini or whatever. And an hour later, he was on stage singing uh, soloist. Solo. Well, I, I would say about 50 minutes later, he was on stage in front of cameras and an orchestra. And, and but very professional. You know, he, you'd never have guessed that we hadn't booked him months in advance. So uh, that was quite the day. And so as the conductor, uh, as the conductor, you must have been sweating bullets, but it's another example of how a conductor has to sometimes pull rabbits out of hats, right? Oh, yeah. No, you're you're part of the production team when you're a conductor. You have to I mean, the show must go on, as we say. And so in that case, you're like, we could substitute this piece for that piece. We could have a quick rehearsal back here for that. Maybe we, you know what you have to scenario wise very quickly and. A uh, great bit of advice I was given by one of my mentors, uh, he, Bramwell Tovey, actually, who sadly just passed away. Uh, Bramwell had told me, "You rule number one, young man, is grace under fire. And he's right. <laughs> he's put on a lot of shows. And uh, that's, that's part, of the, part of the hat that you got to wear. And then not take yourself so seriously and, and find the humor in, in some of these things, right? That's right. That's right. So, well, Bill, it's great. It's great to have you on the, the Stratford Slice podcast, and we look forward to seeing you in person in just a, a few weeks. Thank you, Craig. I look forward to seeing you too, and thanks for having me on. That was Bill Rosen, the music director and the principal conductor of the Stratford Symphony Orchestra. You can find out more information about the Stratford Symphony on the Stratford Symphony's website, www.stratfordsymphony.com. I'm Craig Thompson, and this has been The Stratford Slice. You've been listening to The Stratford Slice with Craig Thompson. For more episodes, check out our website, thestratfordslice.com, and be sure to subscribe. The Stratford Slice is produced by Ballinran Entertainment, Southwestern Ontario's number one digital media studio. If you have a great story to tell and want to be on the podcast, please reach out to us through our website, thestratfordslice.com. <laughs>